Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Like a lot of women, Padma Lakshmi spent much of her adult life trying not to get pregnant. And then in her 30s, she was diagnosed with severe endometriosis. Her doctor told her it would be nearly impossible to get pregnant without quite a bit of intervention. The news was devastating. So she froze her eggs and tabled the idea of becoming a mom. Then, 10 years later, and much to her surprise, she found out she was pregnant. I remember finding out, taking a taxi to get to the restaurant in Midtown, and I just couldn't get the smile off my face. I was sitting in the back alone, and I just kept smiling, and I, I felt so strange and happy and elated and confused and so many different emotions at the same time. But Padma's pregnancy was complicated. A condition called placenta previa, where the placenta covers part or some of the cervix, meant that she had to be on bed rest for her entire third trimester. And amidst all of that, she was dealing with international and near constant attention from tabloids over which of the two men she'd been dating was the father. That stuff was certainly there. It was in the background. It was always like a white noise presence. But on the other hand, just the idea that I was carrying a child was, was astonishing. Padma is best known for hosting and judging the reality show Top Chef and is now hosting the Hulu special Taste of the Holidays, which is awesome, by the way. She's also the co-founder of the Endometriosis Foundation of America. On this episode, we talk about the shock of learning she was pregnant, a harrowing delivery, and the cravings she had during pregnancy. Come on, you know we had to talk about food. She also tells me all about the truly magical night she brought home her daughter Krishna. This is Me Becoming Mom, where we talk to famous women you know and love all about their extraordinary journeys to motherhood. I'm Zoe Ruderman from People. I want to go back to way, way back in time and hear about when you first knew you wanted to be a mom. For a long time, I think, as many women, I wasn't sure I wanted to be a mom in my 20s. But then that changed as I grew older, and, and I always thought I would be a mother. I always knew I wanted to be a mother, but it wasn't a concrete idea, I think, until much later. And then, of course, when I was diagnosed with endometriosis, and I was told that it would be very difficult, if impossible, if, if not impossible, to become pregnant naturally, that put the issue very front and center in my mind. And I was devastated. What was it like hearing from the doctor that it would be nearly impossible or impossible? Did you feel grief over that news? I think it was shock. It was feeling stunned. And just, you know, it took me a minute to process it because I was never forced to make a definitive decision about that. I just thought when I'm ready, I can have a child. You know, we all take our fertility for granted. And I remember, I write about this actually in my memoir, Love, Loss, and What We Ate. 
I'll never forget the doctor's office called to have me come in because he wanted to talk to me. And I knew that the results of all these hormone tests that I was taking would be in. And at that time, as now, you know, my life is so hectic. And I thought, I'm going to have to go all the way uptown just so this guy can tell me things that he can, I'm sure, tell me on the phone. I'm a big girl, you know. And I just was standing in my living room when the call came. I said, can you just tell me now, please? And I was in the living room and I just kind of collapsed onto my green velvet couch. And I remember eating breakfast. I remember it being morning and having a plate of food and just seeing this soggy mess of scrambled eggs or something, if memory serves. And I was just feeling so deflated. And I just collapsed on that green couch with my plate of food. And I just thought, oh, no. You know, you take so many things for granted in this life and you really can't. And that was definitely a moment when I realized I've been taking my body for granted. I haven't been paying attention to what my body's been telling me all these years. And I'm so thankful to my body and my doctor, another doctor, not the fertility doctor, but Dr. Tamar Sechkin, who operated on me and also is my co-founder at the Endometriosis Foundation of America, who really helped me clear my body out of, you know, all this endometrial uh, tissue or endometrial-like tissue, you know, that was causing all this pain. And um, I really didn't know if I was going to be able to have children. I knew I wanted to have children. I have friends who have gone through the endometriosis diagnosis and were told to freeze their eggs. And I believe you went through that process as well. So after I had had a couple of surgeries, Um, my doctor actually suggested it. And, you know, if you've never explored your fertility, you don't know really whether you can have children or not. And so we decided to do these tests, which are very expensive, by the way. And I went to a fertility clinic here in New York, and it was the results of those tests that I got the answers to that morning when I was sitting on my green couch. And It was devastating. You know, all of a sudden, I also had to make a lot of financial calculations. When you freeze your eggs and they sit in this little cryo facility and you kind of get a bill, you know, every quarter. And um, I still pay for the refrigeration. I do too. I get my my annual bill for my little frozen embryos. It's, It's a wild thing to think about. Yeah. And they're sitting somewhere, you know, chilling out. And so I didn't do it until I was about 36 or 37, maybe. And I was going through a divorce at the time. And I just wanted a little insurance and a little breathing room so that I could take my time. Of course, then it just happened when it happened. And, you know, I'm not sad about that at all. Of course. But, you know, life has a way of of giving us what we need sometimes. I have friends who have endometriosis and many of them are not on birth control because of what they were told by their doctors that it will be near impossible or impossible to get pregnant. So they think, oh, all of those years in my you know late teens and 20s where I was worried about this every time I had sex. So what, can I ask if that was the case with you? Did you sort of think I'm not going to get pregnant you know, in the more natural ways? I don't have to worry about this. That was exactly what happened to me. I had spent most of my adult life trying not to get pregnant. 
Right. And, and, you know, um, birth control is also a hormone and they do use birth control to treat symptoms of endometriosis. But in my case, I had finally had the surgery. And so I was feeling better and I didn't want my body to be on all these hormones. And I did take precautions, to be honest. Um, I made sure that, you know, the people that I was sexually active with were also safe. I tested regularly and all those things. And, um, it just happened like that. And so it was, I guess, meant to be, you know, I, I was just happy that I was pregnant. I remember I was actually, I found out and I thought I kept being late for my period. And my doctor was like, no, I even went in and did a sonogram. And he was like, wow, if you were pregnant, you'd see a little brown spot right there or some kind of dark spot. And you see, there's nothing there. And I was like, okay. So I went home and I called my girlfriend who had three kids from college. And I said, Sharon, you know, these are my symptoms. Does that feel like early pregnancy? Because it also can feel like a late period, you know? Of course. Yeah. And so you don't know. And so I was like, okay. And then when I finally, I was like, I need a blood test. I finally had a blood test, you know, weeks later. And then of course I found out I was pregnant. Um, it was a revelation. And, and when the results of the blood test came back, the nurse called me and told me, and then, or the, my, the doctor told me, the nurse wouldn't tell me. She's like, it's not my place to tell you. Wait, so tell me about that phone call. What did the doctor say? I was on my way to lunch with an editor at, at uh, a restaurant because she was an editor from TV Guide. It was something I was doing in conjunction with Top Chef or whatever. And I remember finding out and taking a taxi, you know, to get to the restaurant in Midtown And I just couldn't get the smile off my face. I was sitting in the back alone. I just kept smiling and I, I, I felt so strange and happy and elated and confused and so many different emotions at the same time. Um, and also I was sort of between relationships, you know, without going into the specifics, but I mean, again, the memoir will tell you all the details you want to know. This is the part of Padma's birth story that takes an unexpected turn. As she wrote in her 2016 memoir, Love, Loss, and What We Ate, soon after she got her happy news, quote, a question began to nag at my giddiness, not so much how, but the far more uncomfortable who. Padma was dating two men at the time. She was upfront with both, but now had to ask each to take a paternity test. Here she is reading from her audiobook about this delicate time of her life. After the initial speculation, the press wouldn't stop harping on the fact that I hadn't revealed the name of the father of my child. This prying and scrutinizing of my personal life in the pages of the tabloids was beyond anything I had previously experienced. The truth was that I didn't know the paternity myself until late that September. That early fall, I was feeling pretty shaky. Guilt and the shame of how I had not only hurt Teddy and Adam, but had also effectively embarrassed my whole extended family, swirled around in my head, mixing with the undeniable joy and elation that I would, incredibly, be a mother after all. My emotions blew hot and cold simultaneously, and I couldn't tell what was due to my fluctuating hormones and what was due to the very real and complicated facts of my life induced by my own cavalier insistence on doing whatever I wanted. How was that factoring into your your mental state and kind of where your head was at at this time? 
It definitely complicated the situation. And, you know, as we know, our society is a patriarchal society. So I knew that it was not the ideal way, obviously, you know, to be in the situation I was in. But I was so forlorn when the doctor told me that he didn't think I could have kids. And then this doctor, my doctor was now telling me that I was actually, yes, pregnant. I was just happy. I really didn't, you know, that stuff was certainly there. It was in the background. It was always like a white noise presence. But on the other hand, just the idea that I was carrying a child was was astonishing. It feels like a miracle, even in the best circumstances. But when you've been told you can, it feels like a true miracle. I know how that feels. It just felt magical. Um, I don't want to be too corny about it, but a little spiritual. Like I just felt like, oh my God. And there was a certainty in me that surfaced right away. And my, my attitude was like, it's great. You know, I, it's fine. All that stuff is not ideal and it's going to be icky to have those conversations. And it certainly was icky when the press started snooping around in various countries, not just America and India and England and Australia. You know, at that time it was splashed all over the newspapers and it was mortifying. But on the other hand, it was inconsequential because the main event was that I was going to be a mom. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I like how you described it, that it was just white noise in the background. You know, um, they weren't easy conversations at all. But Krishna was very, is very wanted for me, by her father, um, yeah. by the man in my life who was not her father, who has since passed away. Um, she was loved by everyone in my orbit. And, and I had the support and love of all my family and friends. And, you know, that is all that matters now in the end. Absolutely. So let's talk about the pregnancy. Did you feel good physically? You know, I was lucky. I didn't have any uh, morning sickness at all. I was eating a lot and I was enjoying food. Um, and I even filmed the finale in Napa while I was seven or eight months pregnant. I was pretty pregnant. I had this huge red dress, like very stretchy red dress on. Um, and I felt a low level buzz. Like I, you know how you feel when you have just one glass of champagne, just a little tipsy. That's how I felt my whole pregnancy. I think I was just so elated that my body had come through for me. I love that description. I have felt the same way. I've had multiple pregnancies and I had pregnancy losses before having a successful pregnancy. And that is exactly, it was this just kind of buzz through the whole thing. And even when you're not feeling great, you're tired or you're achy, it's this like underlying, I just feel so like glorious about the state of my body right now. So let's talk about those food cravings and what you were eating. Well, I started getting acid reflux toward the end of my pregnancy, so I couldn't eat a lot of spicy food, and I love spicy food. And it wasn't that I stopped loving it, but I really suffered. But um, I began to crave mustard. It's really interesting, like just regular old-fashioned yellow mustard, not even, you know, the Dijon or fancy French. Not the fancy stuff. No, and I remember being up by Central Park, and I just walked across the street from Bergdorf's and I ordered 
two hot dogs because I knew I wasn't going to be satisfied with one. And I doused it with a ton of mustard and relish. And I just sat down on the grass and I had all this jewelry on and I was dressed in all black. And I just looked like this black beetle. I had a real beetle body, you know, and it was wonderful. I loved it. It was the only time in my life since puberty I hadn't sucked my stomach in. So it felt great. I loved being that shape. Yeah, me too. It was liberating. I would touch my belly. I, you know, it's, it's a very personal thing. And But I didn't mind when people touched my belly. And I just dressed in really stretchy clothes that showed off my bump the whole way through. Um, and I just wolfed down these two New York hot dogs <laughs> with just slathered in yellow mustard. Oh, my God. I'm loving this vision of you doing that. With all these bangles and big hoop earrings and all these necklaces. And I had, my boobs were so big. I mean, I have a picture of me uh, nursing Krishna where literally my boob is bigger than her head. It's the best. It's so great seeing like what your body can do. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I wish I, I could have had more children. I would have liked to have more children. But my personal life wasn't in a place where um, that was possible. And I was just lucky to have Krishna. And, you know, it just didn't happen for me that my life was in a place where I could have more children. But I'm so thankful for the daughter I do have. Yeah, yeah. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm -hmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So placenta previa can be really serious and being bedridden for an entire trimester is, I mean, your life stops. What were those three months like? It was very scary. It happened, you know, it was December, January, and February. So it was very cold. Um, I just did everything from my bed. I mean, I would have meetings. We placed a nice small leather chair at the foot of my bed. um, And I took meetings with like network executives. Wow. You know, I tried as best I could to go on with business as usual, not only because I was afraid that my company would suffer, but also because I didn't want to go stir crazy. I needed um, some structure to my day. I needed to feel productive so that my mind wouldn't race because, you know, when you have been grounded by your, uh, doctor, same doctor (laughs) again, you know, not the fertility guy, but my co-founder, I remember I had this opportunity to do a New York times talk and I had never been asked before. And I was really bummed and I didn't want to miss it. It's a very prestigious thing for me to be asked to participate in. And I begged my doctor and he said, the only way I'll let you do it is if I can drive you myself and I'll sit in the front row so that if you go into labor, 
I can take you right to the hospital, which, you know, was only like 20 something blocks from the Times Center. Oh my God. So did you do it? I did do it. He picked me up. He drove me himself. I remember I couldn't get the seatbelt over my belly and he, we laughed about it. And um, I, that was the only thing I did. You know, that was the only exception he made for me. It was very scary to, to have placenta previa. I went to the hospital twice, once where I stayed for five days with fetal heart monitors and everything else, you know, and they give you very powerful drugs to stop the contractions. Um, and it's funny in the olden days, they would just give you alcohol to stop that. Um, that's what my doctor told me. Wow. So, you know, and in the, in the late stages of my pregnancy, I would have just one glass of wine or one glass of champagne just because, you know, everything was so surreal and it did, it did just settle me down a little bit. The whole time I was pregnant, probably also because of the circumstances surrounding both personal and biological, was a very heightened experience for me. That whole time seemed surreal. And I'm sure that's true even if everything is, you know, normal and sort of conventional, let's say, right? But for me, it really was a surreal experience. Absolutely. So did you get to your due date? No, I didn't. How far along did you get? I got pretty far along and I took all the precautions that, you know, were set forth by my um, medical team, but I, I really, I made it to 10 days before the birth. I think my due date was at the end of the month, like March 1st. And I gave birth on a very cold, very snowy February 20th. How did you know it was time to go to the hospital? I started feeling really uncomfortable. And because I had gone to the hospital twice before, uh, I, you know, was very mindful of, of recording everything. And, you know, my mother's a registered nurse and she started in um, maternity way back when in the Indian Army Hospital. So you had the perfect person to take care of you. <laughs> yes, I did. My mom is amazing. But I just started feeling uncomfortable that day and I called my doctor. I let him know and I had a swing in my living room, like a little swing. And he told me to swing back and forth. What does that do? He thought it just might calm the contractions. So I did. I mean, maybe he told me that maybe it was just to calm me down, but whatever. And I remember I put a frozen apple pie in the oven <laughs> And I don't know why. And I also ordered pizza because he was like, they're not close together enough. This is going to be an all day affair. And I don't want you to go. Oh my God. <laughs> just monitor it. You're bedridden anyway. So it's not like I could go anywhere um, and just time them. And so we were kind of like, okay, um, this may be it, but we don't know. I already had my bag packed at the, you know, and it was like right by the door. So I was swinging. <laughs> I love that your version of nesting, like other moms to be are like, let me get all the diapers. I'm going to fold all the onesies. You're like apple pie in the oven, order a pizza. That feels very you. Totally. Do you remember where you ordered the pizza from? Yes, I ordered it from Grupo Pizza here in New York. And it's still one of my favorite pizzas. They have Grupo, Spunto, Posto, and Vezzo um, all over the city. So they're really thin crust pizza. And did you eat the pizza? Oh, hell yeah. Yes, I did. The whole thing? Not the whole thing, but I would do that. And I would literally like rip 
the top off of the pizza box and just set the pizza on my belly because I literally was bedridden. He told me I could take a shower every third day and I would just be going to the bathroom, you know, twice a day. And my mom had to walk me in. If I cheated or if he saw anything, then he would take me to the hospital. And the only reason he agreed not to have me be in the hospital longer is because my mother was a registered nurse and she agreed to move in with me and give me one-to-one nursing. That was the deal I made with my doctor. Right. So you are feeling uncomfortable. You get on the swing, you do the pizza, you have some apple pie, and then what happens next? And then the contractions start getting closer and I call my acupuncturist. And is that like to help with the labor and to get you more comfortable? Yeah, we we had a birth plan in place. Um, I knew that because of all of the issues with Previa and other things that I might have to have a C-section and I wanted, I, I wanted to be as drug-free as I could be. And so um, I just wanted her for pain control. I wanted her also to give me acupuncture for just remaining calm and serene and having, you know, kind of a holistic experience in as much as that was possible. Sure. And so she came over and then I kept in contact with my doctor. And then he said, okay, I think I'm going to come by. And um, he drove me to the hospital with my mom. And then, um, you know, Teddy at the time, my lover, also, you know, who's deceased now, um, he was such a rock star. Gosh, I mean, that was a difficult conversation to tell him that, you know, this had happened. And, and of course, it wound up not being his biological child. And um, but he followed, you know, in another car um, to the hospital. And then I said, you know, I really, can we do this naturally? And he said, I don't think so. What was that like hearing that you couldn't do it naturally, even though you knew it was a possibility? I was prepared for it. But by that time, I had been bedridden for so long. And I had had, you know, the road to that moment was so bumpy that I just wanted to do whatever was safe and the least turbulent path is what I wanted to take. And um, so they didn't put me out completely. And then as soon as they got the baby out, then they put me under because of the endo and and various things. You know, it was a very um, touch and go thing. The cord was actually wrapped around the baby's neck as well, along with this placenta previa. And so, um, you know, they got the baby out, showed me the baby. Teddy took the baby. How did you feel when you saw her? My heart burst. My heart just burst in a million pieces. And she let out a cry when Teddy brought the baby to me. She just let out a cry that sounded more like a cat, you know? And she looked like this long white asparagus. She was very long and lanky. And, um, I saw the baby and then he took the baby out to my mom and they just flooded my system with drugs and I don't remember anything else. You know, they were sewing me up and stuff. And I was on a lot of sedation actually because I had lost a lot of blood. And, um, you know, I think the C-section was quite complicated as well. Um, And so, you know, I was out for a long time. Were you scared? Did you have the wherewithal? despite all of the drugs, to be fearful? Were you worried about what might happen or were you just kind of on another planet at that point? 
I wasn't ever worried for myself. I was just worried for the baby. And once the baby came out, I remember saying 10 fingers, 10 toes. I knew it was a baby girl, right? Because of the amnio. And my doctor said, yes, you have a beautiful, healthy baby girl. And I knew I wanted to call her Krishna after my grandfather um, because it's a unisex name. And um, I wasn't worried. I was just overjoyed. I've never known a happiness like that in my life. It's so moving. It almost breaks you into the happiness. You know, you, you, you kind of become broken by the love that you feel. It splits you open. It's so profound. And it's, it's so, how can I say, it, it's so primal as well. It's hard to put it into words. And from then, you know, I remember feeling that and just being knocked out. And the next thing I remember was being in my um, hospital room again with the baby bassinet next to me, my mom there, Teddy there, and then sort of waking up very groggy and, and my mom bringing the baby to my breast. Oh, we were all just so happy. We weren't saying much. I'm sure Teddy's heart melted too. You know, he'd never been in the delivery room. Um, he had adopted two sons from South Africa, but he'd never had biological children. And of course, this wasn't, it turned out, his biological child either, but he'd never been in a delivery room. So that was an experience that was quite um profound for him too. And my mother as well, you know, my mother's obviously been in plenty of delivery rooms, but, um, she wasn't in this one because it was actually an operating room and I could only have one person. And after everything Teddy had been through, um, and so publicly and stuck with me and stayed by my side, holding my hand ever so tightly, no matter what, you know, I felt like he more than deserved it. And I wanted him there for me. Yeah we were all just looking at this beautiful baby. I mean, there were hours that went by before I came to because I was sedated and on post-operative sedation for quite a while. But when I woke up, I just, I, I was just so gobsmacked. It was just, you know, such an experience. And we were all just looking at the baby. My mom, you know, was very calm and sprung into action. It just was, it was just a period in my life that was, um, suspended in an animated reality that is just different than the rest of my memories. And what was that like holding her and, and nursing her for the first time? It was incredible. I mean, I put her on my belly and she kind of shimmied and crawled up right away and she latched on pretty well. But then in the subsequent days, she kind of fell off um, didn't nurse as easily. And I was worried that I wasn't making enough milk. Yep. <laughs> it was stressful. And then I was in the hospital for five days after Krishna was born. I was not let out because the doctor didn't feel comfortable because of how complicated the uh, surgery and the C-section were. Um, and he just felt I needed to heal a little bit more. Um, and then there was this huge snowstorm. And, you know, just to have privacy, we left the hospital at two in the morning. Wow. And it was in like a dead, quiet snowstorm, you know, when New York City is just hushed and quiet and not even a mouse is stirring and all you can hear is the snow falling on cars and on empty roads. That's kind of magical. It was very magical. I remember it so vividly because the car was allowed to come into the loading dock of the hospital 
and they spirited me down there. First, they got the baby in there and made sure that she was warm and in the car seat and bundled. And then, you know, I slowly came in a wheelchair and I remember it smelling kind of like trash, you know, because it was a loading dock. And then just getting in, and I remember the city was absolutely empty. And it was eerie because through the street lamps, you know, because of the thick snow and the light of the street lamps, it just had this haze, um, almost like the whole city was wrapped in gauze. Yeah. And it was quiet, and we were driving very slowly to make sure that we wouldn't skid or slide. And we just took the surface streets and we went back downtown to Alphabet City. And um, they got the baby upstairs right away first and safe and warm. And then I went straight to bed. And I remember my family and my assistant, Tucker, at that time, had put signs all over saying, Welcome, Krishna. And there were all these stuffed animals um, in this antique cradle that we found with the little sticky note. The house looked beautiful. There were flowers from all my family. There were toys that we had bought it because it was dark. So it was almost like Christmas Eve, you know, when you get up at two in the morning. And it was like sneaking into the house. And, you know, they got me into the bed because I still had a lot of pain and a lot of stitches. And they put her to my breast and we fed her. And I remember those early days of motherhood. It was such a special and intense and surreal time. It was almost like an altered state. Yeah. So when you talk to Krishna now and tell her about the journey that it took to become her mom and to become a family, what do you tell her? I tell her the truth. You know, she will learn more nuance and detail as um, is age appropriate as she grows. She's 11 now. Um, but she knows how badly she was wanted. And she's also heard me talk about it many times. And she's also heard me speak at a lot of events about reproductive health, both for um, the Endometriosis Foundation of America, but also, you know, at Planned Parenthood. And she's also heard me speak to other endometriosis patients and heard their story. And so she knows about my experience and in, in, in all the important essence of it that there is to know. And, you know, she's seen pictures and she, I tell her that thing about how she looked like an old man and looked like a white asparagus, you know, <laughs> of course, everything I uh, think about is in food. So I have to have the apple pie and the pizza. <laughs> of course. But that is what she looked like. <laughs> I think motherhood opened me up in all sorts of ways. I think it made me a fuller, rounder person. I think it gave me much more empathy. I think it also put a stop to worrying about the, the little stuff, you know, the petty stuff that as young women, we think it's about the dress we're wearing or having a bad hair day. And that all falls by the wayside. And for me, it really was very clarifying motherhood. After we finished the interview, Padma and I got to talking more about endometriosis, and she had one more very important point she wanted to make. In her work with the Endometriosis Foundation, she talks to a lot of women dealing with unexplained pain and trying to get pregnant, and she has a message for them. If I can leave your listeners with one thought, I would say, if you're having trouble getting pregnant 
explore whether you have endometriosis because not every endometriosis patient has pain with their period. Depending on where the tissue is, it can often be on a nerve that blocks pain. And it's not always in the interest of the fertility doctor to figure it out before he gives you a few very expensive cycles of, you know, testing your hormones, retrieving your eggs, all of that, you know, doing IVF, go to an endometriosis specialist. It is one of the three leading causes of infertility in women. And had I had the surgery that I needed in my early 20s, rather than in my mid 30s, my life would have been completely different. Pregnancy aside and motherhood aside, for all the young women listening, if you do have the financial means, if you are in that position, do yourself a favor you know, freeze your eggs, even if you're, it's almost better if you don't fertilize them, because then it's your decision. It gives you even more freedom than that. I say, if you're in a couple, fertilize them, but keep some unfertilized for yourself. That's it for this episode of Me Becoming Mom. If you like our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. It really helps people find the show. And we'd also love if you told a friend about us. Next week, we're bringing you another extraordinary celebrity birth story. This one from seven-time gold medalist, Allison Felix. She kept her pregnancy private for a long time, training alone at 4.30 in the morning, and she kept competing professionally for fear of losing sponsorships. Her daughter, Cameron, was born two months early after Allison was diagnosed with severe preeclampsia, a very serious life-threatening condition that often comes with no symptoms. I think at that point, I still didn't understand the seriousness of everything. And talking to my brother after the fact, he explained that he didn't know if he was coming to see his niece be born or if his sister was going to pass away. I don't think I understood until afterwards how scary it, it did get. This podcast is produced by people in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Andy Cubis, Jason Mack, Brian Rivers, Eliza Sessler, and Suzanne Semeloff. Our executive producers are Lauren Mickler, David Flumenbaum, and me, Zoe Ruderman. Thank you so much for listening. 